All right. So thanks again for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Uh, first off, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the disability community. So my name is Megan Balch. I'm a speech language pathologist. This is my 20th year out of school. Um, but honestly, my whole life, I have always made sure to uh, reach out in the community. When I was 16 and I got my first driver's license, I took it upon myself to drive to nursing homes around the town and deliver banana bread, and visit with people. Um, I always worry that people are by themselves and alone. And when I was at that nursing home, I met a young girl who was only 19, but was living there with autism. Um, so that kind of changed my perspective on how the community, uh, even at that time, so 20 years, this would have been 30 years ago, um, that they were always pushing people with disabilities in our community to a closed door situation. They were always welcome um, or able to visit events around town. Um, so from that point on, I knew I wanted to work in the field with people with disabilities. Um, and when I went to school initially, I was in nursing, but found all of the therapies um, after being a respiratory therapist for about five years. Um, and I met a great professor at Michigan State with one of my patients uh, who had Guillain-Barre which means that they were paralyzed from the ground to the brain up due to a virus. And I worked with him. He ended up being um, my first professor uh, at Michigan State. He developed the eye gaze system for blink mechanisms. And he also developed deck talk, which allows uh, computer animated voices for AAC devices. Um, so it was just very interesting. Um, it seemed to break all the barriers that I had thought about since I was about 16. And that's how I jumped into the field then. Um, personally, I ended up adopting a child who struggled in the public school system. My husband was even a principal um, of almost 20 years here, and our child couldn't get the supports he needed. So that pushed us to open our own clinic uh, that served all clients of uh, any age, whether they're young adults, uh, if they're school age, if they're preschool age. And we take all of the insurances, all the state-funded aids um, to ensure that there's access to one-on-one -on -one therapy help um, for kids in our community. Mm -hmm. My next question is, tell me a little bit about your work as an SLP. You know, what's the day-to-day -day like? Sure. So I'm in a private clinic now. I started out just me, seeing a caseload of about 10 to 15 a day. And we've now grown to 10 full-time employees of speech and OT. So we get started about 7 a.m. planning for the day, um, getting equipment out at the gym, getting things all ready to go. And uh, so we can see kids almost back-to-back -back other than our lunchtime. Um, so we have people come to us. We have a small lobby area. Uh, where many people in the community have met each other. So if you can imagine kids and young adults of all ages that gather in there 10 at a time and switch on the hour or the half hour, and they have individual therapies for speech and occupational therapy or psychology or educational tutoring here. Um, so in between each session, I also have to document um, and then I'm also the practice owner. So at the end of the day, in addition to sending off all that documentation, I do all the billing. 
So I'm sometimes here from 6.30 in the morning until 9 or 10 at night. Um, that's a pretty typical uh, Monday through Friday. And I also do Saturday um, sessions. I often do pro bono clinics on Saturdays for young adults that have no access to use their benefits. Um, so on Saturdays, I now do two Saturdays a month for the winter. I typically do all Saturdays, um, but this winter has been pretty harsh with uh, people being sick. So we have narrowed it down to two Saturdays. And uh, then we often have whole families come in the clinic too. Our Saturdays tend to be teaching whole families how to use AAC devices or feeding therapy um, or even job skill training or training for taking driver's ed courses. Uh, we've also done literacy in small group sessions for um, high schoolers and young adults who maybe didn't have the best benefit of their education then. Um, but our Saturday clinics are always unique and target a specific group of people um, that, and it's often pro bono or without any fee. Mm -hmm. My next question is, to, um, how do you make sure that a patient, you know, is independent and self-sufficient? What sorts of things do you teach, you know, your patients? Because like every you know, patient is different and has different needs. So I'm wondering what what you what you do from like your perspective. So most of our young adults um, that are aiming for independence or high schoolers that are moving towards having some type of functional independence have a caregiver. Um, they are often limited in our state. If you have a disability, you technically are not allowed to have your own personal apartment, um, which limits that in North Carolina. So there, I, we are striving for what can help them to gain independence in being able to either volunteer or have a paid job in the community. Um, so we work with either a job coach. There's a couple businesses that are part of a outreach here in our small Holly Springs community. So like Advanced Auto Parts has been great for on-the-job training for teaching customer service skills for we help them like I will actually go over there to advance auto parts with them and be their job coach um, and then instead of just working at advanced auto advanced auto is training them to be able to get a job anywhere whether it's cashier stocking um, so I physically have to be involved in that in order to make sure that there are not barriers that I don't know about for that person um, and then if they have a caregiver, we always do caregiver training so that the caregiver can practice the skills that we've done in a small session. Often there's this thing called the, the therapy room where the skill can be at 90% accuracy, right? So the therapeutic response, but then if they go into their home environment, they may not be able to carry that skill over to everyday activities. So that's where we rely on the caregiver to give us feedback on how that's going or the patient to tell us what they did um, in their home setting that was successful or unsuccessful. Um, so a lot of follow-up communication is necessary, whether by email, we do text messaging. Um, we often don't have time for personal phone calls outside of our regular everyday activities, but those uh, that are tech savvy, that seems to be the, the way to go with our carryover. So functional independence in my field is for communication, for feeding, for meal prep, for executive functions. Um, and then if they're taking driving 
classes to be able to do the safe driving in the community. Um, there's there's a lot of things that could be impacting them as a young adult from getting the job or being able to get around town um, that we try to troubleshoot one at a time. So one goal at a time, kind of a stair-step approach. Mm -hmm. My next question is, uh, like, tell me about the impact that speech-language pathology has not just on yourself, but on the on the disability community. So we're hopeful that because speech impaired happens to be the number one and earliest identified um, disability, um, kids that are even identified as early as, say, one or two years old that can't communicate, we can tell pretty early on that we need to give them that robust help. So hopefully speech is one of those people that can give them that first bump towards gaining age appropriate or functional communication skills because we can start them so early. Um, and one of the things that has kind of crossed over is the literacy piece. So some of my students who I've seen as young as two who might have been nonverbal or use an AAC device, if we teach them appropriately, we can have early reading skills and early phonology, um, which then shows the community of at least the education system that they have potential to be able to uh, be able to be in that regular ed class as soon as possible, like right at kindergarten and not be pushed off to a special ed self-contained setting. So we're hopeful if we get them early enough and we can get them communicating um, and showing early academics and literacy that that gives them the opportunity um, as best as possible to be on a regular graduation pathway. Um, but communication is the biggest thing uh, between speech, OT, and PT. Some insurances limit the client to a total of, say, 30 visits for all three. Oftentimes, the parent will limit the OT and PT and pick speech because they think communication is the most important for the um, person to be able to be uh, progressing. Um, it's unfortunate that that tends to be a which one do we have to pick, um, but we do see the quickest uh, progress often in speech in those early years. Um, but hopefully, as we keep advocating, they'll be able to have walking and fine motor skills and sensory skill at the same time. Uh, but in our state, it is limited oftentimes to speech only at those ages. Mm -hmm. Lastly, what can people take away from uh, this conversation? What can, let's say, students studying SLP, you know, SL SLP professionals like yourself, you know, how can they sort of be a part of that patient's success? So, and that's the biggest thing is find out what the patient themselves has as their goal. Um, and our kids were even as young as five or six, they can self-advocate and say what's important to them. Um, and making sure that the patient's goal is one of the priorities and not just the one that maybe the speech therapist um, has come up with. Uh, because if it's the patient's goal, then they're likely going to make that goal uh, quicker. Um, and to know that every child is different, every student is different, every adult with a disability is different. Um, I have, you know, along the way, learned a lot of different avenues to teach people how to talk or eat or communicate. Um, and it does take time to learn about so many different people to then apply uh, this knowledge and to be successful. 
So it's important not to use the same goals and the same bag of tricks with every kid because that certainly won't help them all succeed. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's some good insight there. <laughs>